Hello and welcome back to Movies on My Mind. I'm Rosie and today I was feeling a little bit rageful so I decided that I'm going to be talking about Gone Girl today directed by David Fincher and it came out in 2014. So I've got a lot to talk about today with this film. I watched it for the first time, like a few years ago. And I remember it was like, I watched it and I was like, oh my God, what even is this? It's so crazy. Uh, So many things happen. It's so crazy. Uh, And yeah, I remember definitely being completely absolutely shocked by this whole film so i rewatched it obviously because i haven't seen it i hadn't seen it since then i was just wondering whether i'd see it in a different way or it will be different because i remember when i watched it it was a long time ago and i'm a completely different person than the last time i watched it so i just wanted to see if i thought any differently about it and i did it's a weird one Because obviously the second time you watch it, you know kind of what's going to happen and you know what has happened. So going into it with those expectations of I already kind of know what happens at the end of this did again change how I saw it. And as well, you're not so invested in the story as much if you already know the ending. So I was kind of noticing any other things that I wouldn't have noticed if the first time I watched it because I was too busy focused on what was actually going to happen that I didn't notice anything else. This film is based on a book uh, written by Gillian Flynn, who also wrote the screenplay to this, which is great, and it was directed by David Fincher. Now, David Fincher is known for his psychological crime thrillers. He directed things like Zodiac, Fight Club, which I have done an episode on, if you want to check that one out. The Social Network, I swear that was David Fincher. There's, There's a lot of things that he directed, and I did not say them all there. Anyway, he's directed a load of stuff. Gone Girl is about let me give you the plot, is about Amy Dunn, who is a housewife. That's kind of all we ever really find out about her too much. And she is married to Nick Dunn, who is played by Ben Affleck. So it's Rosamund Pike and Ben Affleck, if you didn't already know that. Basically, on the day of their fifth anniversary, Amy goes missing and she just disappears. She's gone. Hence the name Gone Girl. She's gone. She's out. Uh, And Nick doesn't know where she's gone. And basically this whole film is about the story of her disappearance. And we have her narrating, but then we also get Nick's point of view. So it's quite messy in terms of our perception of what's going on, uh, which I like about this. But anyway, so we follow Nick actually in kind of, it's almost like real time. Uh, And then we have almost past or a, a different point, we get Amy's narrations of what's going on. And the investigation gets to the point where they think Nick has murdered his wife, Amy, and there's compelling evidence to say that he probably did. And we as viewers on the first watch do not know what's happening and you do believe that maybe Nick murdered his wife. And so we go through all of how they met, um, the context and things like that, and then things start unravelling. So we get kind of events that happened in Nick's life that incriminate him just things like that and then it's found out this is a big twist so if you've not seen this film which you probably have but it's spoilers um amy is not dead she's not been dead the entire time she was alive the whole time and she constructed this whole thing she faked her disappearance she was gonna fake her death to then send nick to prison and in missouri the death penalty 
is was still a thing so send him on to death row uh, for what he had done to her in quotation marks um and she was gonna then kill herself and then frame him for her murder and that is incredibly crazy but that is basically what happens and so we get nick's story and then we get amy's story and then at the end what happens is amy comes back because something happens and her plans don't go the way she expected them to so she ends up then constructing her re-emergence and her rebirth into the world and then that's kind of the end the end is them being together again but obviously it's one of those things where nick really really hates amy like they hate each other by the end of this because they are both kind of trying to get at each other and amy has constructed this entire thing you see the media coverage as well and the story that she constructs is uh, is accepted by the media and they go with it we also have other characters like Margot, who is Nick's uh, twin sister, who is on Team Nick. And then also we have uh, the detective uh, Rhonda. She is kind of the head detective of this case. And so we, we come to it through those people's eyes too, because, you know, they're trying to discover, but they're going to try, try and unravel this mystery just as much as we uh, are going to see them and want them to unravel this mystery. So we see the detectives as well. There you go. That's kind of kind of it. We also get other characters like Andy, who is basically the Nick's student who he was having an affair with the entire time. So we get loads of these details that then make this case even more morally ambiguous and grey and you don't know whose side you're on. And that's what I really love about this film is it's so kind of messy. It's so messy in terms of truth and story and people's perspectives are so mishmashed. And yeah, I really like that. I will say on the second watch of this, or the, the multiple watches of this film, it didn't hit the same. I don't know what, I think it's because when I first watched it a few years ago, I would have been on Team Nick. I think you're not necessarily made to be on Team Nick. I think it's left so open that you're not made to choose whose team you're on. Because the first time I think I was much younger and my first watch of it, I was on Team Nick because I thought this was like a whole murder. I didn't even know what this film was about. I love going into films completely blind and I did go into Gone Girl completely blind. So yeah, I think you think it's going to unravel like a normal mystery, a normal kind of crime drama like just the way and a thriller the way it normally does and then this one's a little bit different and that's again what I like about this and it's so complex like the more you go into it the more that you know in the writing as well I was noticing just time just lines and things like that that I wouldn't have noticed the first time I watched it but those lines point to the deeper kind of the other subtext of what's going on so you're allowed to take what you want to take if that makes any sense so what do what am i going to go for okay i'm going to go for the face value of what this film is basically the face value is this woman who is a wife seems like a perfect wife has a perfect life in terms of she lives with her husband they have a big house uh, her parents uh, own this um well, her parents write, her, her mother writes these books that she is based off called Amazing Amy. So she is called Amy. The book about her is called Amazing Amy. And it is all about this amazing little girl. And that is what people see on the outside in this media coverage is, you know, this poor woman. This poor woman is 
gone missing. And why on earth would that happen? That shouldn't be right. Amy is very successful. She has, um, she's a, they call her a decorated scholar. She is a successful writer as well. So again, this kind of like construction of the perfect life is here in society's standards. So it, it's set up in such a way that, again, this is like every other kind of story where a woman is a victim. She is murdered by her husband. This is how far the story goes. Is she must be murdered by her husband because Nick has to do all these press conferences and it gets in the media. There's this thing called uh, missing white woman syndrome that is incredibly apparent in this film, how a affluent white woman goes missing and then everyone wants to know what's happening. Everyone wants to know every single detail. Is she going to be okay? This woman is a victim. We need to help her. The media do not accept any other version of this story because that is so textbook that is so normal this happens all the time this is you know this is in literature this is what happens this poor woman being a lovely wife to her husband is then killed because of his temper or because of him being dangerous and that is the narrative that the media take with it. It's also revealed that Amy was apparently pregnant as well. So Amy goes to the lengths of faking a pregnancy, adding it to her legal records so that it looks like she was pregnant. And, you know, he didn't want kids. He killed her. So there's so many questions that come up of the story that is so textbook and normal. It almost turns into some sort of witch hunt in terms of, like, people want to get Nick, they, you know, they villainize him very quickly. And then also, people are just so obsessed with this idea and who this person was. Um, and it, it, it makes you question, especially now when I watch this film, it makes you question, I don't feel comfortable with the amount of coverage <laughs> that this, you know, this trial got. It doesn't kind of seem right. And it's just the way their par her parents stand on the platform and, and then they're like, a website, we're gonna a landline you know we set all of this up it's almost a complete show it's a complete show which it is because amy constructed it all but it is kind of like crazy how easily in this world amy was able to do that and that world is not so different from the world that we live in now and that is what is terrifying about this film there's a lot of terrifying elements of it but it's very hidden and under the surface kind of terrifying so we have that straight away so the media coverage was there everyone was automatically going to take amy's side because she is a poor missing white woman who has loads of money and a trust fund um so she must be a good person um and her husband is horrible and he definitely killed her but it's not as simple as that and that is what we learn throughout this film now I want to talk about how we're introduced to Nick and Nick's character. So to understand Amy's motives and to understand the rest of the film, it's important to know who was Nick? What is Nick doing? What does Nick want? Who is he? So Nick Dunn is Amy's husband. Now he is just a guy like he's not really developed crazily at the start and we empathize with him and I think I don't know, it's a weird kind of empathy that you don't have on a second watch. So it's weird to kind of go back there to the first watch and what that was. Nick finds that 
Amy is not home and a table had been smashed and he immediately calls the police and says, I don't really know what's going on here. Where is she? I can't find her. But he's not kind of angry about it. He's just kind of like, blah. Ben Affleck plays Nick and I think that Ben Affleck was the perf- like perfect choice for Nick. I don't know why, but Ben Affleck is so good at just being just that kind of guy who doesn't really, he's pretty chill, he's pretty laid back, you know, he's not overly emotional. He's just kind of the guy. And that is who Nick is. He is just the guy. And he doesn't really have any feelings towards what has happened. He's very numb. You can't really see anything. And it's almost as if he's relieved that Amy is gone. So then that gives us the question of what I love about this is that we're teamed also with the detectives. So I love Detective Rhonda. I think that it was really effective that we have, we have a female detective as well, because she is a little bit suspicious of the whole Amy situation as it is. And as a woman herself, this kind of like rage that Amy has is going to be something that Rhonda is going to be familiar with or she's not going to underestimate Amy or is she? That's the question. That's the big question. She teams with well, she doesn't, why am I saying they team? It's not like Avengers Endgame or something. No, they don't team. This is not a battle. It, but it feels like they are because we want to know what happened to Amy and these guys are going to find out. So she's kind of interviewing Nick and, and kind of like, you know, you killed your wife. They're very much on that stance quite, quite you know, early on. Um, a lot of the male detectives are 100% Nick killed Amy, they don't even question it. Um, which again is quite alarming because it shows how they straight away without even a second thought underestimated if Amy was you know crazy you know if she was kind of insane enough to create this whole thing they didn't even want to know anymore they accepted the woman is a victim she's dead story straight away without even questioning it but Detective Rhonda does question it which again kind of unravels this journey which we wouldn't have gotten if like some random male detective was like okay yeah she's uh you killed your wife end of story we have a bit of curiosity on that as well because we want to know what happens and we find things out about nick but we're finding out from like a, an objective place so we're a little bit suspicious of what he's doing because this is a crime drama but at the same time we're a bit like what what is even going on with him you know to be fair there's nothing to really talk about nick he's just kind of like a placeholder he's just it doesn't really feel like he's a real person in the terms of like the fact that he, he has no consequence for what he's done or what he could have done he doesn't understand how to play this media game and he thinks he can just appear as himself because he is adamant he didn't kill amy which is true but he doesn't understand that there are powers who are working against him to try and position him in a certain way Nick is seen as the writer. He was the writer and Amy was his wife. Yet at the same time, he is completely blind to this story that is being created and constructed around him and to entrap him. And he he just doesn't get it, which is like bizarre. He's just so ob oblivious. And that is one word to describe his character is he doesn't have a clue any of this is going on because again he is also underestimating what amy is capable of and the kind of the the actual like just her anger he just completely underestimates that um again that is kind of like his downfall so amy sets up this clue thing 
that was apparently for the five-year anniversary. I also like how she went missing on July 5th, their anniversary, which was a five-year anniversary. So there's a lot of fives there. Five is, I'm just, this is so random, but five is like a destructive number. You know, things crumble down at number five. Five is not like a stable number. She makes all these clues up and everything, which you know, is a little bit, you can see her already constructing things. So we see that without having to even know that that's the case. And she takes uh, Nick on a tour of all of his infidelities because we find out that Nick has been cheating on Amy with his student who was like 20 and he was her teacher. What the hell guys, stop. Um, anyway, that didn't stop him. Again, he has no remorse for what he did. It's, it's, it's very, you know, he's a very interesting character. He kind of just sits in the world and expects other people and everything to kind of work out for him without him even trying or accepting consequences of any of his actions. Anyway, let me calm down. <laughs> so yeah, she sends him on a big tour of where he cheated on her and all of this that she knew about because she found it out because obviously he's not he didn't hide it very well so he still thinks he can get away with it and then she also spends loads of money on his credit card so he's in credit card debt and then hides all of this stuff in one of his infidelity spots for the clues which again is very very much a mindfuck for um nick and he kind of unravels this Amy's kind of madness is unraveled through her clues and her constructions and Nick is slowly realizing that she is I'm not I don't want to call her crazy you know I've said this I've said crazy a lot already but it's not crazy it's kind of calculated and um cunning and she's just so good at it and he's slowly realizing just how good she is, but he's still underestimating her. She's making these clues and straight away you can go, this woman, she knows what she's doing. Like she's constructing something here. She's creating something. And you know, what does this mean for Nick? He's reading those clues and he doesn't have a fucking clue about, pun, pun intended, about what is going on and what she is doing to him. He doesn't know, he doesn't care to know and again that is another downfall and a big flaw of his character is that he still after all this time does he really underestimate her or does he really even care and she's gone missing what throughout so we first off we see him and he kind of looks like a good guy you know he's trying to come to terms with the fact that his wife is missing and we give him kind of this empathy like it's okay you know that's going to take a while isn't it that's going to be hard for you so you give him the benefit of the doubt and I think that's kind of how it's constructed there but then we start to work out this information and he starts to become a morally grey character so he starts off as pretty normal and then we start learning these things and we're like oh that's a little bit not normal that's a little bit strange you know he's having an affair on his wife and he doesn't really care about her he doesn't even know when her anything about her any of her friends and then which is a bit weird and then then we learn he has kind of a temper so we see scenes where he's throwing things and he does that to himself and he doesn't need to do that to himself in that situation but he is adamant he has this kind of like self-confidence that he's not in danger he's telling the truth I'm telling the truth, so I am right. People are going to listen to me. Again, 
that is where gender comes into this. Nick is a man. Nick is the husband here. And he's telling the truth. And people will believe him telling the truth. And then this is where I bring in Amy, who, on the other flip side of things, she has to create all these lies for people to believe her. She creates so many, so many things. She constructs such a life for herself that is a complete lie. But everybody fully endorses and believes because it lives up to society's expectations. In the way that Nick and his... Nick and his, his truth-telling does live up to s expectations. So Amy has to work twice as hard for people to see him as a liar. And she does it. She does it for a long time. People do believe and she was going to successfully her plan was going to work guys so things that kind of happened in a marriage which led to this downfall basically they they make each other they hate each other at this point they've been married for five years and they they nick is not very emotionally available we see many scenes in which he does not notice amy and does not care for her life or anything that she's doing and we also know that amy doesn't have any friends and then we find out that what had happened is Nick's dad had got sick, so they moved from New York City back to his hometown. And this is a place where Amy didn't know anybody and she didn't have any choice about whether she was going with him, he just took her. And so she had to move her entire life to somewhere she doesn't know very well. So do you expect her to have many friends? And it seems like she was being trying to be such a good wife that she didn't ever think about making friends and in those five years she didn't really have any um i don't really know that i think maybe was that purposeful i don't really know i don't know the extent of what amy was planning whether she was planning this a long time before she actually did it and i don't think it's actually confirmed whether she how long she was conceiving this plan for because i think it's definitely a plan that has taken her taken her many many years to construct so perfectly because it works that's the craziness of this so i think that maybe yes they'd be married for, oh actually i don't think they had oh shit they hadn't been living there for five years so i think in her whole time of her, him moving her over to his hometown that could have been the time frame that she's kind of constructed this plan and this scheme which would make sense because it's it's so crazy and so so good it's so good it's also apparent as well that Amy, actually, part of her trust fund was given to her parents because they were in debt. So that was kind of like her future or her future earnings. I don't really know what was working with that, but she then gave that to her parents. So she sacrificed that part of herself for her parents. So she seems like a character who was kind of living under the radar in the fact that she was being walked all over by the people around her. You could say that. I'm I'm arguing for this. Uh, what I want to say is before I start, well, I already have, but I think that at this point in time, I'm definitely team Amy. I'm not team Nick. I am team Amy. Amy is the villain, is she? The anti-hero? Who knows? But I'm arguing for the case that Amy is the one you need to kind of root for. And I'm not saying that that's the right answer. Uh, and I'm not saying you can't disagree with that, but that's just my stance. Okay, I apologise for my voice, it's just all of a sudden just gone really weird. So, um, I'm just gonna try and carry on. I wanted to say some things, yeah, I'm team Amy, okay guys? I'm sorry. Um, why am I apologising for that? Let me just stop right there. I'm not apologising for the fact that I'm team Amy, okay? 
Right, let's go. So, basically, we learn things about their marriage which are not good, which make them not happy. And it is very clear to us that Amy is not happy. And Nick doesn't seem to be aware of this. But he kind of does because they call her a bitch. A controlling bitch or just, you know, really horrible words. And they demean her and straight away, because she does not have his attention all the time or because, I don't know, she's making these demands of Nick, which are not unreasonable demands, that she is this horrible, monstrous person who is conniving and horrible and no one likes. So it is very clear that Amy's not having the best marriage at all and neither is Nick because he's not happy either but he's having an affair so he doesn't really care. He doesn't really care about this marriage and he doesn't really want to save it. So yeah, let's talk about Amy now. So um, basically, she is um, a little bit of an icon, I think, in a anti-hero kind of way. And I also... Well, okay, now I'll talk about that later. So basically... Amy takes on this role of being the doting wife, the perfect wife, and in her monologue, the cool girl. So I'm just going to get that monologue up right now and read you some quotes. She also says how Nick had murdered her metaphorically in terms of he had taken everything out of her that made her who she was and turned her into somebody she didn't even like anymore. She says, Nick loved a girl I was pretending to be. So it shows how throughout her entire life and her knowing knowing Nick she was putting on a show of who she actually was she was presenting an ideal version of a woman to him but it wasn't actually who she was inside and he didn't really care for who she really was because he was so enamored with this version of of who she had created because he would only accept her for face value when I met Nick Dunn I knew he wanted a cool girl and for him I'll admit I was willing to try. And then she goes on about all the things that she did to kind of just have him and to make him fall in love with her. She also says here, I aspired him to rise to my level. I forged the man of my dreams. So she takes full credit of who he's become in some ways or who he could have become. So in the same way that he kind of loved this version of her, she loved this version of him that she wanted to create because she's a bit of a control freak. So she thought in the way he was able to control her and kind of forge her into who he wanted, she thought she could do the opposite, but it, it didn't happen that way. And that's because society doesn't sit so well with the idea that a woman can forge the man of her dreams or control the man of her dreams. But society does sit well with the fact that a man can create the girl of his dreams or inspire the girl of his dreams because society is so much more used to hearing stories about that kind of thing. So she goes to extreme lengths and constructs this entire thing. And then she, one of her quotes is, Nick thought he was the writer. So again, it shows how Nick was the husband with a life and Amy was just his wife. That rhymes. Um, so, yeah, she was also a writer, but we never hear her get any credit for anything that she's done. Her biggest achievement is this whole construction. But she never gets credit for it in the real world because that's just not how it's done, unfortunately. So she could just work really hard at her job and get all this credit, but she would still be never better than her husband because he's the one people see as the writer. 
So instead, she goes to Extreme Legends, goes under the radar and constructs this whole thing, which I arguably is way better than anything Nick Dunn has ever done in his, t in his entire life. Um, okay, let's go. <laughs> um, so yeah, also when it is kind of revealed that Nick was uh, unfaithful to Amy, he goes he has interviews and he constructs his empathy so he starts constructing who he is and that's the first time he's ever done that in his life and it is so he says so unnatural to him and he doesn't like it but that is a reality for someone like amy he, there's just so much contrast of Amy will do one thing and then it happens to Nick and he doesn't like it and it seems more normal for it to happen to Amy than for Nick so there's a bit where they're kind of interviewing him and picking him apart and he goes I'm so sick of being picked apart by women which is a complete joke of a sentence because that is exactly what has happened to Amy her entire life in similar ways but no one is willing to you know, tell him that and go, well, actually, it's pretty normal the other way around. So yeah, when it is, yeah, when it's on, he's unfaithful and stuff, it, society allows men a free pass with their immoral behaviour, because he all of a sudden takes on this empathy and projects this image on of himself onto the world, where he goes, I'm sorry, I'm an awful person, I'm an awful husband, and I just want to make everything right again and just have a happy marriage, and people lap it up. Because that's okay if a man does that. But if a woman does that, it's not the same. And yeah, the, this this kind of media coverage is so kind of almost hyper-realistic. It's not, it's, it's definitely a fantasy, it's not real. Obviously, we know that the media coverage is a construction. It's kind of like a paradox of constructions in this film. What is even real? And that's what I love is one big question of this. But the media coverage is unrealistic and kind of like staged and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's painfully real in terms of the way that this story is playing out. You know, like, the tragedy of a woman is something seen as poetic. And again, something the media absolutely love and people have a fascination with. Because that's normal. It's not seen as the way... It's, it's just seen as, like, poetic and, you know, the maiden who um, tragically dies because her... Uh, this man hits her. I just... I just, you know, like, like in, like, Shakespeare and stuff as well, like, for example, like, Ophelia in Hamlet, like, oh, what such a great poetic tragedy. It's awful what happens to her, but we, we're not ready for the consequences of that, and none of the characters pay the consequence, well, they do, but, you know, they don't directly pay consequence for that kind of thing. It's seen as just, oh, just another, just another one. His, underestima his underestimation of women continues in the fact that um, he, he also underestimates Andy, who he's having an affair with. He completely objectifies her the entire time. And um, when, say, when, when talking with the lawyer and everything and saying, you know what, she's not, she's not going to say anything. She's not going to come public with this. And then the lawyer goes, well, they always take it personally. And it's like, no shit they take it personally, because she's a person as well, and he is using her. Are you are you so blind that she's not going to realise you're using her? And she'll definitely want the media to hear that. So he's just, he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get this game. And you just see the people around him just frustrated with the fact that he doesn't get it. But he is allowed, and he is, he's allowed to not get this game and still be seen as a human being. Whereas the length Amy is going to, she is the game, but no one, no one sees it. No one wants to see it. They just want to see her as the victim.
Okay, so now I'm going to bring in the other guy, Desi, who is played by Neil Patrick Harris. Now, what happens when Amy's plan goes wrong? She gets her money stolen from her from these guys at like a motel thing, and she has to improvise with what she's going to do. And she has a history of exes, and one of them was kind of like her stalker, and she was like, and he's also rich. So she was like, you know what, I'm just going to play a part again, and... I'm gonna get my the money and the the kind of roof over my head that I need from playing playing a role for this man. So she goes to his house and she well no she's going to house she goes to a casino and waits for him and finds him and you know she's like I'm so upset this is so awful he was gonna hurt me and I ran away no one has to know all this stuff and he's like it's okay it's okay you can come back to mine. I'll make you safe again. So then we see her relationship with um, Desi as a as a opposed to her relationship with Nick. Now, Desi doesn't really understand. Kind of, he completely underestimates Amy. He completely just sees her as an object, and he thinks that that's okay. And the thing about this film is that some people want to see him as you know a good guy, maybe or a. Uh, he was, he didn't deserve to, he spoilers, he dies, he didn't deserve to die, that kind of thing, but there is things in his, the lines that he says that make him almost as bad as someone like Amy, so in, in that way he's not a good guy. He takes her to his, kind of, he has his lake house and there's CCTV everywhere, so he is, he is a control freak, he's just like Amy, but the one thing is he's underestimating that Amy is also pretty crazy not crazy why am i saying that i meant you know what i mean that amy has this ulterior motive he doesn't understand that she is capable of having an ulterior motive again the woman victim um so she constructs this whole thing in which you know she needs his help and then he starts to kind of he comes back and he's got like hair dye and he's got clothes and says i want you looking like yourself again and she's like mm, okay and you know he's like change out of those clothes turn into who you were which again is the construction of who he thinks she is so she has to play another role um he starts to kind of say worse things where he's like i'm not gonna force myself on you as if he deserves to sleep with her after all she's just been traumatized by her husband is on the run do you think that's really what she came to your house for but anyway he just doesn't get it and he's very pushy on it he has the cctv he has the upper hand in terms of control in that situation and amy has to do one up on him to save herself uh, because again he is kind of predatory so he's not a good guy what happens is she kind of sets up this thing that she's she is going to sleep with him but then she's going to kill him because how else is she going to escape because she doesn't have locked to the keys he keeps you know saying i'm gonna move in with you to this lake house like what he's everywhere so she has to act then otherwise she can't act again and she has this kind of ability to turn off her emotions and go and just take a step back from it and go right i need to do this right now otherwise i will literally not be able to get out of this alive so she does and then she kills him and then this is where the plan goes awry to obviously cover up this murder technically a murder but yeah it is murder <laughs> it is um she then goes back 
and she's found um, after all this hounding and she's planted the murder weapon and everything and everyone's like, oh my God, Nick's going to go to prison. But she comes back and she's covered in blood. It's so dramatic. And she then constructs this whole thing that she was abused, raped by this guy and um, all of this. And she's lucky to be alive and it was in self-defense and everything like that. And people just buy this story straight away. And they're like, okay, cool. And all the evidence is there, so case closed. Much to Nick's dismay, he's like, what the fuck are you doing back here? Um, And... Yeah, so then after that, everyone's like, oh my god, they're going to be the perfect couple, and oh, amazing. Yeah, so she still is living in this construction, but it's a construction in which she has the upper hand, because she has constructed this entire construction, and Nick is prisoner to her construction. And this is a really unique dynamic that is created after all of this, and does make her into kind of a villainous character, because she is doing it to as, to give Nick all this suffering that she wants to give him, and grief for what he has done to her. And he has no way to escape. She also... Um, basically they went to a fertility clinic and it gets a little bit crazy then um and she uses his sample to then inseminate herself and get pregnant so she's like oh i'm pregnant (laughs) and he's like what because it would look like he's such a bad husband if he had left her after that so she traps him at the end that is her success at the end and her glory at the end because she is still allowed to live so she doesn't have to die for what nick did to her she also has a line when she decides that she doesn't want to kill herself where she goes why should i have to die for what he has done why should i have to why should i get the blame why should i suffer for what he has done to me and he gets to you know obviously he's not you know but why does she have to die for him so then she kind of turns that on its head why do we need to die for him and then she says to him at the end I've killed for you. How many people can say that? So then that gives her the power. So when she comes back, it's kind of like I'm choosing this life for myself, but I'm in a position of power here. And before, my construction was in a position of weakness and a position of not manipulation, but manipulation in kind of the worst form in terms of, you know, she was living in a society doing exactly what it wanted her to do. Whereas now she's flipped it on its head and she's winning. She's winning. So this role that she creates for herself at the end is empowering. She's described um, at the start of the film as a type A and not a type B. And I think as well, again, categorising women and also categorising just gender roles in general. People don't like women who are successful, who are who, who achieve things. And Amy was one of those people, but at the same time, she was criticised for it. Whereas at the end, she's kind of a bit like, you know what? people are gonna hate me no matter what now I've actually got to win I can't just be criticized for it I've got to actually win between the lines and in the subtext and infiltrate this entire system which is what she does which is absolutely madness and it makes her an incredibly dangerous person so another thing that I love about this film is that every single character in this film can be seen as a dangerous person in one way shape or another in terms of someone's perspective in terms of somebody's kind of views um, and in terms of, of what people class as morally good morally bad and there is no moral good or bad in this film it's completely gray everywhere so as much as you can feel sorry for nick at the end because the question is are you going to stay with her and he goes i have to 
so there is obviously there's kind of hatred and there's kind of danger danger between them uh, because he doesn't know what Amy is capable of but at the same time he kind of deserves that because of in in some ways because of him underestimating her the entire time you know he doesn't leave her and I think that in some ways Nick sees or wants to see some part of himself in this new powerful Amy because he was he was pretty low like his his power is pretty low in terms of what he's capable of but we see him kind of go on this this gray journey in which he's having an affair and he doesn't feel any remorse for it he says he hates amy he throws things he becomes quite violent towards her so in some ways they are not so different and yeah, I think that it makes sense that he would stay because some part of him is within this new Amy. So I think that there are a lot of characters in this film that depending on what side you're on and depending what lo loyalties these characters have, they can they can be capable of dangerous and, and really um, kind of absurd things. This darkness isn't just something in Amy, it's something in everybody, but Amy is the main player of this story. And then at the end, one thing that's interesting as well is we have Nick, Team Nick, which has the Detective Rhonda on it. These are the people who kind of know what's going on, his lawyer, and then also his sister, Margot. And Amy has no one, right? Amy has herself. Amy created this whole thing herself. Whereas Nick has this team of people because no matter what he does, he will always be supported. And Margot even says to him, you know, I don't care what you've done, I will still love you. And that is something that Nick takes for granted in terms of he has this loyalty with other people. And he has loyalty with other people because of who he is and what type of person he is. But whereas Amy doesn't have anyone, she's still doing better than him. <laughs> so yeah, and also I wanted to talk about the comparison between Margot's character and Amy's character. Because they both have this close relationship with Nick. Margot being his sister and Amy his wife. And Margot hates Amy. And I think that's so interesting about Margot's character is I don't want to like her, I don't like her, but should I like her? Some of the things she says are incredibly Team Nick to the point where it's like, okay. And she does criticise Amy a lot. So again, this film kind of has characters who are on random sides, who are biased in their own ways and biased in, in their own views and their own morals. So it's up to you as a viewer to then decide whose side you're on and whose side you would want to be on. And I think, you know, she doesn't support Amy and I I guess, but it, we don't know her grounds for hating Amy, which again is an interesting thing. We don't know what that is. So keeping that that we don't know and that past and the, those relationships as we don't know always keeps us questioning what is this person or what are these characters going to do next? So then I wanted to talk about kind of like some people are calling this film anti-feminist, misogynistic. And then I wanted to bring Fight Club into this. Okay, so um, basically some people have said this is anti-feminist for the way that Amy constructs um, things like uh, sexual abuse and rape and things like that. And she's falsely accusing and then incriminating these men for everything that she does. And she constructs the entire thing. And people saying that's anti-feminist or misogynistic because she's using that um, and she's using the way that people could believe her and then turning on its head and lying and acting and playing a role. In some ways, I think that's quite extreme what Amy is doing. It's definitely not something that, that has never happened. It's something that does happen. But I think that it works in terms of the extremity of Amy's character because Gillian Flynn, who wrote this, says how... It is kind it's sexist for us not being able to have female villains, for example. So I think that that kind of thing 
works in terms of Amy's character and the extremes that she's going to. And it also shows her emotional detachment and her detachment from remorse and the justification for her revenge of how far she's willing to go. And that is, as well, the magnitude of her anger. She is so angry that she is willing to go to these lengths to incriminate these men. But another thing that kind of struck me was the fact that these men, they're so annoyed that they're not believed and they've been, you know, framed. But at the same time, there's many, many more women out there who who are in that position in which people don't believe them and they don't want to believe them because of prejudices. Whereas these men, yes, it didn't happen and it was a lie and yes, they've been falsely incriminated. But at the same time, at least people are listening to them because Nick goes to them and is like, tell me your story, you know, Nick listens to them. Um, and they're still taken seriously in the film as as characters, if that makes sense. Whereas I feel like in the real world, if that was a woman, it would be a little bit different. Uh, and that's why I think that the extremes of this film is okay in terms of like the map of the character and in terms of the the dark side of femininity and the dark side of uh, Amy's character. Again, I don't want, you don't want to call it misogynistic. Obviously, it's radical and it's extreme, but that's okay because we've seen extreme male stories and we've seen far more extreme male stories. Let's bring in Fight Club, which is also directed by David Fincher. And also things like American Psycho, but obviously American Psycho is a satire. Anyway, <laughs> so that's a little bit different one. But I've also done an episode on American Psycho, so if you want to go and listen to that one, you can as well. With Fight Club, Tyler Durden has this... Tyler Durden's character in, in general is um, very... The the extreme version of him is extreme. It's it's extreme. Like It's, it's like almost, you know, it's extremist. And, and that makes sense in terms of Amy's character. But Amy's character kind of lives in the society. She's still a plausible person in the world. Whereas Tyler Durden's character is, is like, his extreme is, it's so extreme that it's not realistic anymore. But anyway, in some ways, the extremity of the male characters is seen as normal in society. And, and that's the difference between the two films is it's only a slight difference and it makes Amy's character scarier because she kind of exists in the real world and her actions and what she's doing are plausible things and she is using the system to her advantage whereas the system is run by people like Tyler Durden so there is no kind of double crossing and under the radar kind of thing he's all out in the open and he can be all out in the open it's fine you know, obviously, I know Fight Club was like a secret organisation, but it is an extremist secret organisation. And it wasn't so crazy for us to watch a film about that because it was kind of normal. We've seen films like this before. So I think that if you want to kind of put Tyler Durden's extreme and then also Amy Dunn's extreme by each other, they're not so different, but they are different. And I think it's important that we have stories like that because the characters are different in their own ways and they're also different based on the gender of the character and the experiences of each gender, uh, which then makes the story more interesting. I think that they're obviously both extreme characters. They're both extreme versions of rage in gender. But also, we know they're not right, but we're still watching them. And that's okay. We can watch stories like that because that's the whole point. So I, I understand people calling it anti-feminist, misogynistic, but at the same time, it's a creative expression of the rage within society, which I think are important stories to tell and important things to explore, especially in Gone Girl and especially in that kind of like 
female rage that we have with Amy Dern because yeah it's just really interesting and I think we I kind of wanted more from her character in terms of like I want to know who she really is because we never learn who she truly is inside we see this monster but she can't just be a monster you know all of these constructions that she plays have to come from somewhere but where did they come from so again these characters are almost like enigmas of i don't quite know how capable they are we kind of see the story happen not when they're at their full potential and that's another thing that i love about the ending is amy says about how she inspires like her dream man she wants him to rise to her level well she did that's what happened at the end he's had the opportunity to rise to her level now but it's not in the way you thought it was and it wasn't the way that you were expecting her to go down and i think that amy has this kind of uh, relationship with perfection which is incredibly damaging and unhealthy but her kind of ending of the film with her and and nick and, and nick kind of staying with her that's gonna they're gonna reach their full potential in their worst possible way and that's i i like that i think that that's really interesting Okay, I've been talking for like an hour. Do I have anything else to say? I just wanted to talk about like, I don't know, just the characters and the story. This has been a story and a character kind of day. Um, but yeah, I'm happy with what I've said here. Um, obviously, I, oh, sorry, I love Rosamund Pike as uh, Amy Dunn, honestly. The way she can play so detached and, and the extremes of her emotion are kind of done in such a kind of cold way that, it, again, her character is a believable character. That is what is terrifying about this film. And that is the best thing. Also, I just want to say about how I, I really love Kim Dickens' character is Rhonda, the, the detective Rhonda. She had a, a, like a groundingness to her that we were kind of like curious as she was curious, suspicious as she was suspicious. A lot of notes uh, of the and beats of the film were in some ways influenced by our detective and our third party um, people from the police coming in and discovering what is going on here. But yeah, so that's what I'm going to talk about. And I've been talking for like ages and this is so weird because I haven't done an episode in so long. But anyway, that was Gone Girl, directed by David Fincher. So obviously go see it. Go see Fight Club as well. You know, just kind of like maybe just explore the differences between them and the similarities between them as well because there is similarities i think it's very interesting and i think that there's a lot you can say about this whole thing but anyway that was my thoughts on it let me know what you think follow me on instagram and tiktok at movies on my mind pod uh leave a review if you want um all that kind of stuff and uh yeah I'll, what else am i gonna cook up for next time i have no idea